listening to episode 21, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert. And I'm Josh Havens. We're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Ashley Hales holds a PhD in English from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland. She's a writer, speaker, and hosts the Finding Holy podcast. Ashley's married to a church planter in Southern California suburbs and the mother to four. Her writing has been featured in such places as the Gospel Coalition, Books and Culture, and Christianity Today. Her first book is Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. One of the first things God said after creating Adam was, It's not good that Adam's alone. We all want to belong. It's a desire God hardwired into our very existence. But our sinful natures often twist and distort those desires, and the places we live often end up shaping who we are. This happens when you face the need for your yard to be the best on the block, to have the nicest car, and to know everything happening on social media all the time. Now, nice yards, cars, and social media aren't evil things. But the way we interact with those things can be motivated by a desire to find security and belonging outside of God. They're an attempt to find community in an unhealthy way. In short, these behaviors and patterns are liturgies. They're the stories we tell with the way that we live our lives. The only problem is that it's a broken story. But don't worry, if you find yourself falling into these traps and patterns, there's hope. In this chapter, Ashley details a few practical tips on how we can create counter-liturgies telling a different story that aligns with the image of Christ. So one of the things that I love about your book, too, is how practical you get. I mean, you, you are very real and raw, and, and you give us a good look into your own life and your own emotions going through this. It's fascinating to me, then, how practical you become as far as, like, giving what you call these counter-liturgies. And, and so I, I want to talk about liturgies a little bit, but first, define that for our audience. Our audience isn't as familiar with liturgy in general— and then uh, these liturgies that you're talking about here, like you talk about liturgies of consumerism and then counter liturgies. Right. Yes. No, I think really a liturgy is a, a story arc, you know, if you will, that helps helps us understand reality. Um, and so you would think of like of a church liturgy and whether or not your church is high church or low church or whatever, we all have a, a set way of what we expect like the church service to go. And that forms us, you know, like where God calls us, we confess, um, we hear the word proclaimed, we experience his grace in the sacraments, and then we are sent out on mission. And so it gives us a story arc, a place to belong to. And I think our places do that too. You know, where I live um, in, a, in the suburbs, it's like everything is beautiful and manicured. And so I look around as I walk, as I drive, and I have the sense that everything needs to look pretty, right? Everything needs to look um, pristine. And, you know, just the very ease of where I live, that forms me and it tells me this is, this is the good life, right? The story of ease and beauty where everything's manicured, you know, nothing's out of place so that, you know, when you're, you're having a difficult time in your marriage or your church or like neighborhood stuff kind of comes up, all of the stuff, you know, that we see and experience actually, you know, tells us that this isn't okay. Right. And, and so, so we have to, I think, as followers of Jesus, wherever we live, consider like how 
what's the story of my place and how is that forming me? And what's the story of the gospel and how is that forming me? And are they antithetical to one another or how can I bring the gospel into my place? Um, So that's a very long answer to what is a liturgy. But I think for me, that's just been a helpful working definition is to, to think of a liturgy as a story arc that we kind of comprehend reality under. And so we need to ask ourselves, our places are telling us a story and what story will we choose to believe ultimately is in control, the story of the gospel or the story of the suburbs? Even if you don't live in the suburbs, there's a kind of a story, a, a suburbia of the soul that I think is pretty pervasive. That's good. Story controls so much more of our lives than we we like to think. You know, we all walk around living as first person characters in our own movies. And, <laughs> yeah, and so right. everything we experience, I mean, try to try to go home and have a conversation with uh, your significant other or a friend and try not to tell them a story. Right. right? right. And so I, I think this is so powerful is that, and I love looking at liturgy as just a story. I think that's a perfect way of, of encapsulating it. And so then it really helps us understand what you do with these counter liturgies. So like if consumerism is this story of that you move out, the good life represents all of these uh, things like you talk about. I love your your uh, story of going to Target. It was like right. your retreat area. Of, <laughs> right. You know, and then you realized, oh, wait a second. What am I doing here? What is the story that I'm living out of? Right. And you, you go to great lengths to say there's nothing wrong with Target. You, of course, continue to go to Target. Right. But you had to create counter liturgies to help counteract the negative side of that story. So tell us a little bit about the counter liturgies that you had to create specifically for consumerism. Right. You know, I think there's so I do at the end at the end of every chapter. So there are kind of practices and counter liturgies, which really let me just give a shout out to my husband, who is a pastor and church planter. And so he's, you know, as I listen to him preach every week, it's we got to do something with this. Right. And so he's helped me kind of take some of the ideas, uh, you know, into the reality. But, um, you know, one thing is about fasting would be a good say, I want to include a liturgy of fasting in my life. And that doesn't necessarily always mean to fast from food, but you know, can we fast from our social media usage? Can we fast from going to target? Um, can we, you know, donate our things? Can we go through our closets? Can we, you know, make a plan for how we're going to engage, you know, our time online rather than simply just, oh gosh, I'm bored or I'm feeling stressed. And so I'm going to pick up my phone um, because we're consuming relationships that way, or we're consuming politics that way when everything is something to get angry at or too emotionally invested when we don't actually have connections with real people in real life. So there's so many different ways that consumerism can shape us, but even thinking about, okay, how could I institute some sort of sense of removing myself from the sites that I consume, whether that's social media or physical stores, whether it's, you know, consuming gossip and relationships that way, how can I fast would be a really great way to just then notice, notice Oh gosh, how am I feeling? And am I taking these feelings, ideas to to Jesus, or am I simply just longing to glut myself on consuming something? Mm-hmm. One of the things I can't help but notice as I read through your book is how how much tension there seems to exist between all of these ideas of um, it, it's good, and yet you can just simply step over the line, and then all of a sudden it becomes destructive or evil, and yet, and then. 
it's almost like there's another line that then it can become good all over again. And, and, and Jesus can take that thing and, and turn it into right. a, uh, a good thing where you say we're saved, not for ourselves, but so that we can have freedom. Um, I'm really butchering this line, apparently. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> freedom is the abundant life in Christ uh, for others, though, is what you're saying. And so even though we're seeking these things for ourselves, we're not really saved for ourselves. We're saved out of that to then give to others. And so the next idol that you talk about is individualism. And yeah. it's amazing how you're right. We have built the suburbs as a way to cater to the individuals while giving us the false sense of community. You know, like you're talking about social media. It's, it's like right. it's the physical version of social media. Right, yeah. Um, so how does, how do the suburbs, uh, corrupt our sense of community? Right. I mean, part of it is it's this idea that we have community without what the cost of community. And so, you know, we can wave at our neighbors and close our garage doors, or we have our little white picket fences that we can kind of hide behind. Um, but we, we basically, I think, you know, community is always born out of need, um, and it can't simply be something we opt into kind of as a consumer choice. And so I think that, you know, ultimately the church is our community uh, that shows us the lengths to which God went to save us as individuals, but to also then create something new, right? To create a new community and a new people. Like you said, that wasn't for the purpose of, um, you know, just giving us a nice little spiritual high or something, but to actually show God's love in flesh to other people so that more people can come into his kingdom. And so I think the suburbs particularly give us this idea that community doesn't cost anything or I can opt in or out based on my own schedule and likes and wishes. Um, I was even just speaking to a friend and she was just saying how much her grandmother grew up in Spain, how much she, she wishes that we had that sort of community where everyone's gathering on, you know, the patio and having their coffee and, um, but instead we choose the sort of community that is, you know, contingent on money or contingent on success or contingent on my own schedule rather than offering something a little bit more hospitable, like the Bible says. And, and then when we do finally get together, it, it does, it seems like we're just sort of uh, status measuring each other for, uh, right. you know, well, I did this and, you know, right. okay, well, guess what? I did this. and Right. <laughs> so what is the, uh, how can we counteract that culture? Because we all know that we have to raise our garages, walk out into right. the street and do yep. something, you know, make right. that dreaded walk across the street and introduce right. ourselves to those people that we see all the time, but we kind of pretend aren't really there. Right. Is it just that we have to get up and, and go and, and do it? Or is there something more that we could be doing to uh, make ourselves open and available? Right. You know, I think as much as we can make it practical, the better with these sorts of things. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it, too, is just like choose get a group from people from church and you say, OK, like hospitality is going to be a thing and we're going to actually try to meet our neighbors. And and to so the first suggestion is to embrace awkward, you know, and to go up to the neighbor and be like, hi, I know I've lived here for five years. I don't remember your name. I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, just like admit it. I'm actually, it's great. It's great to meet you. Um, but to, I think too, we can often so spiritualize things or so like have to have this like philosophy of, of neighborliness. And I think a lot can be gained by actually just going out and trying something and embracing awkward and trying to just be a friend to someone. And then you can take it from there. But especially if you bring other community members 
and your church people um, with you and say, hey, we're all going to do this. And we can say, hey, how did do you have that awkward conversation? We do. And it really wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, yeah. So I think the, the more we can just embrace the awkwardness, move towards other people in love, and also realize, you know, there's going to be times where things flop or conversations don't take off. And that's OK. Chris and I had a really fun uh experience with a flop like that so we uh we both and probably three years ago now started planning a church in our house yeah and uh almost two years ago now we decided you know what we're gonna have a, a cookout on the the front yard and we're gonna invite all the neighbors and so yeah uh for two straight weeks we uh we made little miniature uh banana bread loaves yeah packaged them all up and we were like yeah we're gonna go knock on doors and just say hi to our neighbors, introduce them and say, we just want to have you guys over. We're going to make hamburgers and hot dogs and we're just going to hang out. No churchy stuff. We're just going to hang out. Right. right. And, uh, we got some of the most awkward stares. <laughs> like, what are you doing at my house? Yeah. <laughs> right. How dare you knock on my door? Yeah. And, uh, well, even, even doing that, knocking on the door might be a counter liturgy because, uh, you know, you almost get a, a flare of panic when somebody knocks on your door anymore. You're yeah. like, well, yeah. who is it? Like, why are they knocking on my door? And, you know, you're peeping around right. the, the curtains and stuff like that. Right. And, and so that's a big step in and of it itself. Is. It is. Yeah. And, you know, we've had um, you know, things where one family said, okay, like Friday nights, we're going to hang out in our front yard instead of hanging out in our backyard. Right. And so um, trying to find those communal spaces so that you're making yourself available um, is something that can be a counter liturgy too. I mean, it, nothing may come of it, but it's beginning to say, okay, this is something that's important to us. So we're choosing to spend our time this way. I love it. And it is, it is tough. And especially if you're an introvert, like, like we are, it, it is, it can be a tough thing. But one of the things that I've learned is we all love it when people take an interest in us. Exactly. And so if we love it when people take an interest in us, other people are likely to be have, have those same feelings. And so let's, let's go ahead. I love it. Embrace the awkward step <laughs> out there. And uh, so I might have to write that, put that on my wall somewhere. Embrace yeah. the awkward. What are some of the idols in your life? We all have them to some degree or another. And until we identify them and expose them to the light, our secret desires will continue to drive our behaviors in a way that pulls our attention away from Christ. And a great way to see these hidden idols is to simply begin practicing some of the counter-liturgies Ashley talked about in this episode. And when they feel uncomfortable or they cause fear to well up in your heart, that's how you'll know you're on the right track to discovering the suburban idols in your life. This will feel awkward at times, and you may not do it perfectly on your first attempt, but embrace the awkward and step out in faith by giving to someone in need, by crossing the street to meet your neighbor, or by inviting someone into your home to extend hospitality. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. 
Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Ashley Hales and her work, check out aahales.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Ashley uncovers some of the suburban idols we worship and the antidotes that can lead us back to God. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.